0: Hello, thanks for tuning in to the Trinity Church Nottingham podcast. It's great to have you with us. My name's Johnny, together with my wife Amy, we lead this church here in the centre of Nottingham. Our vision is to see the church on fire and the city alive. If we can help you in any way at all, please feel free to get in touch and email us at info at trinitychurchnottingham.org. Okay, let's jump into the podcast. In the Late 12th century, the church was in a place in her life, in many ways, not very different to the place that the church is in today. The church, by that point, felt old, like the church, to many of us, feels old today. And uh, there 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 was obviously Christians around, but lots of Christians were sort of nominal and... And faith was kind of at a point that it felt sort of dull and stale. Many people believed that the church was dying, just as many people believe that the church is dying today. A lot, of, um, a lot of folks, particularly young people, began to look to other philosophies and ideas to put their lives behind, to live their lives according to. And the, the freedom and the passion and the power of the early church felt like a lost Era. The church had become stale, and it needed awakening. Around this time, a child was born called Giovanni di Pietro de Bernardone. What a name! His dad called him Francis, and many of us in this room will have heard of him as St. Francis of Assisi. And Francis uh, was a rich kid. He had wealthy parents, and he grew up being a rich kid. He liked to splash the cash, went to lots of late-night parties. He loved fashion and wearing the finest clothes. And really, Francis's deepest desire at this point in his life was for glory. For his own glory, he wanted to be someone who was glorious. And so like a lot of young men around this time, he decided the best way to do that was to become a knight. A knight in shining armor. Glorious. A lot of you are looking at me thinking I'm more like a jester than a knight, but that's okay. But but sadly, Francis' uh, military career didn't go quite as planned. His first uh, campaign, he ended up getting captured by the enemy. And because he was a rich kid and because parents would pay lots of money to get their rich kids released, he was taken uh, captive, put in a dungeon for a year until his dad Paid for him to be released and he returned to his hometown. But this didn't dissuade him in his his sort of second military campaign. He rode out ready to do battle, but before he could make it a day from his hometown, he became so sick that he had to turn back. And he returned to his town, he returned to Assisi completely humiliated. Lower than low. Around this time, he, he, he continued to get, to get really ill, and lots of people in the street with these two failed military campaigns thought that he was a coward and would call him a coward around his hometown. But during these, during these days, as Francis was wrestling with being ill and, and really wrestling with not being able to do the thing in life that he wanted to do the most, God began to stir him. One day, uh, Francis was in the little chapel in Assisi and he heard from God and he felt God say this to him, Francis, rebuild my church. And at that point he had no idea how significant those words were gonna be. In fact, he took them really literally. And started going around the neighborhood collecting rocks and bricks. Thinking that God meant just rebuild the broken chapel in Assisi. And so he started doing that. But from that moment, there's lots of other details. From that moment, God set a fire in Francis' heart that changed everything. And God um, God eventually used him not to just rebuild a chapel in his hometown. But to reawaken and rebuild the church worldwide. Francis took a vow of poverty. He gave away everything that he owned. He used to walk around in a brown garment and he spent the rest of his life preaching about the kingdom of God. And as he preached about the kingdom of God, miracles would just start to happen around him. People saw him as a fool, this this weird man who was obsessed with Jesus, who would wander around like like a beggar in a brown piece of clothing preaching about the riches of the kingdom of God. And yet by the end of his life alone, thousands and thousands of people had been awoken to Jesus through his example. As of today, millions of people in hundreds of different countries, have had their lives touched by God because of France's devotion to Jesus, because of his example. He was seen as a fool in the eyes of society, and yet God used that fool to reawaken his church. I wonder what the word fool means to you. In fact, I'd probably take a stab at it and guess that for most of us, it's not a word that has positive connotations, we probably think of it as an insult. Maybe we think of someone who doesn't make very good life decisions. Maybe we think of someone who's clumsy or a bit silly like a Homer Simpson type character. Maybe we think of someone who has made a fool of themselves, right? In, in a public event, done something inappropriate. <clears throat> Looking around the room, some of you are recalling when that person was you. Ha <laughs> ha. But to be human, to to be alive, means that at some point or another we are going to be seen as fools in someone else's eyes. Whether this is over something big or whether it's over something seemingly arbitrary and small, I can tell you right now that the haircuts I had as a teenager were seen as foolish by my father. When I grew my fringe all the way down the left side of my face to cover one eye and shaved the back and spiked it up with a bit of hair gel, when I wore trousers half the way down my arse, with a studded belt and some checkered van slip-ons. When I was an emo, my dad certainly saw that as foolish, but to my friends, I was bang on trend, trust me. Some of you uh, may think it's foolish to spend money every year on going abroad on holiday, but for other people, that's a priority in their budget, right? Some of us, doubtless, will think that it's foolish that the UK has left the European Union, and for others of us, it's a cause for celebration. All of us, at one point or another, will be seen as foolish in someone else's eyes. So the question is not, am I a fool? But whose fool am I? The question is not, will I be foolish? But who am I willing to be foolish for? What am I willing to be foolish for? John Wimber, who was an American pastor and founder of the Vineyard Movement, as part of his testimony of how he came to Jesus, recalls this story when he was in L.A. and he saw a street preacher. And uh, the street preacher had a sign around his neck, you know the kind that have got a board on the front and on the back? And on the front, the board said, I am a fool for Christ. And on the back it said, whose fool are you? And God spoke to Wimber through this moment. And Wimber resolved himself that he was going to be a fool for God. That he was going to be okay with looking foolish in the eyes of the world. If it meant being captured by God's love. Being captivated by him. Living a life obedient to the call of Christ upon him. And God used him, didn't he? For those of us that know anything about Wimber and the vineyard movement. God Used him. So, what is at stake? I think that each each Christian, each Christian, each one of us is called to be a holy fool. I want to suggest that that is the right kind of fool to be. A holy fool that is, that is so, so captured by God, that lives every day so much in the reality of God's goodness, that really, really believes that God is as real as this carpet and this shirt and this air that we're breathing, that everything else flows from that. Everything else is put in its proper place because Jesus comes first, because he's everything. I believe that if the church can become full of holy fools, that is a church God could use. If the church becomes so captured by God that we do away with what other people think, that is, a God that, that is a church that God could use to change a city. Even this one, it's all he's ever done. As Jim Forrest, the orthodox thinker, puts it, holy fools pose the question, are we keeping heaven at a distance by clinging to the good regard of others? Are we keeping the power and the presence of God at a distance by caring more what others think than what God thinks? And so there's a lot at stake this morning. And so I want to look at three particular characteristics of holy fools in the hope that each one of us can capture something. Holy fools, firstly, I want to look at holy fools fear God, not man. Holy fools count the cost and holy fools hear the call. Some of you flipping love three points, don't you? I could hear praise in the room. First of all, holy fools fear God, not man. The first thing to say is that you don't become a holy fool or a fool for Christ by just trying to be a fool. Trust me, I would win. You come to me with your foolishness, I would one-up you. You come to me dancing on the table, I'll dance with my shirt off. I will one-up your foolishness. We don't become holy fools by just seeking to be foolish. We become fools by being captured by something greater. And this is what happens, right, when for, for those of us that have been been in love. This is what happens, that you, you act in absurd ways when you're in love. It's, it's stupid, crazy, illogical, irrational. When uh, Kate and I were dating, when she was training to be a teacher over West London, I lived in East London because I was cooler than her, and, I, and she lived in West London doing teacher training. And I used to get up before five some mornings and get the train an hour across London, get a coffee just to meet Kate outside of her apartment building, take a 20-minute bus ride with her to work, and then go all the way back across London. That is stupid. Guy <laughs> <I>, for the... <laughs> For the mathematicians in the room, that is over a three-hour investment for 20 minutes of quality time. doesn't make any sense. Of course it doesn't make sense. I was in love, still am. So there you go. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, moving on. But it's the same with God. We don't become... Holy fools, by trying to be fools. But when we're captured by the love of God, we don't need to try. There's just someone more important than other people's expectations of us, other people's opinions of us, other people's judgments of us. We get captured by a greater love. Because becoming holy fools means that we die, I want you to hear that word, die to our fear of man. In fact, holy fools put fear in its rightful place. Just like Johnny was talking a couple of weeks ago about holy ambition, that there's nothing wrong with ambition, but so many of us just direct it in the wrong ways. There's nothing wrong with desire, but so many of us just direct it towards the wrong thing. So with fear, fear can be good if it's fear of God. And this brings us to our passage, Matthew 10, reading from verse 26. Why don't we read this together if you've still got a Bible open in front of you? So the context of this, sorry, quickly before we read it, the context of this is that Jesus is sending out his 12 apostles. He has given them authority to go preach about the kingdom of God, to heal the sick, to see the dead raised even, and then he explains to them some of the things that are going to happen, and then he tells them how they should respond when these things happen. It's good training, right? And the context is that Jesus says, as you go out with my authority... As you go out to proclaim the kingdom of God, there will be opposition. There will be people that on my account will hate you. There will be persecution. There will be people who who seek to arrest you, who seek to flog you, who will speak ill of you. There are families that will start to become apart because of what I'm doing. And he says into that this. So do not be afraid of them. For there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. And even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So do not be afraid, for you are worth more than many sparrows. Did you notice that in the scripture? The answer isn't just to not be afraid. Jesus says, don't be afraid of them. Even those that hate you, even those that persecute you, don't be afraid of them. Instead, instead, be afraid of God, fear God. What Jesus is pointing out here is that we were not designed as human beings to lead lives fearing others. We were not designed to lead lives based on other people's opinions and expectations of us. You know, if if if, if what other people think of you is the thing that most shapes your life, that is your God. If your need to be successful in the eyes of others, most shapes the decisions you make and the way you live, that is your God. And what Jesus is saying is, no, 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 no. Don't give your life to lesser things. Even, even people's opinions, even those who, who seek to do you harm, don't give your life to lesser things fearing man. Give your life to, your, to the thing that you were purposed to do, which is to fear God, because the fear of God is about love and intimacy. The fear of God, within it we find fullness of life. King David says in Psalm 25 that the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. Fear, when we fear God, we find that we are embraced by the father and when we fear man we just we end up just exhausted and ashamed think of think of peter right at the end of the gospels where he denies knowing jesus where he's so scared of the people around him that he says no i didn't know him and then 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 jesus round, turns around turns around and looks at him and he is just filled with shame his decision to care more about the opinions of others than his faith in jesus led to shame and anxiety And I want to be really careful about how I say this next bit. Because I want you to hear that I love the church. Hopefully that's clear. If it's not, I apologize. You should know that I do. I love the church in so many ways. I was raised in the church. I am a priest in the church. And yet I really believe that, particularly in our tradition we have become more worried about looking normal than we have with being holy. For a long time, the tradition that we're a part of has made it its chief concern to just look as normal to culture as we possibly can. And this didn't start as a bad thing. A few decades ago, this was about, this was about telling people that, that you can be a real human being with emotions and stuff going on and, and, and brokenness, and you're welcomed into Jesus. This was about telling people that you can come to church and you can come to God exactly as you are. This was about embracing people. And yet, as it's gone on, this movement has turned into an idol. Our desire to to look normal to the culture around us has emptied many of our churches of the power and the presence of God. We're so concerned often with being palatable to the culture that we're unable to be prophetic within it. God has called us to be salt that has taste. To be cities on hills there's nothing wrong with, with with embracing people. There's nothing wrong with with casting our arms open as wide as possible to people. That's what Jesus did, right? He did that to everyone. But it didn't change the distinctive call that he also gave to people. Verses, uh, Matthew 10, let's go back to this, verses 29 to 31. The, the very next thing Jesus says, after, after telling them not to be afraid of people but to fear God, he then says this, And not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs on your head um, are all numbered, so don't be afraid because you are worth more than many sparrows. I find it fascinating that when Jesus talks about fearing God more than man, he roots it in reminding the disciples who he is. You know, so often it's difficult to fear God because we don't have a big enough picture of him. And Jesus reminds the disciples then and there, doesn't he? Like, no, fear God. Fear God who numbers every hair on your head. Fear God, the Lord of heaven and earth, the creator of the stars, the mover of mountains. Fear that God. You know, so many of us struggle with putting fear in its right place because we don't practice perspective. We don't, we don't put practicing perspective into our lives. How many of us, first thing in the morning, take a moment to remind ourselves of who we are and of who God is? You know, often at the moment, I'm, I'm just getting to a point where, where God will challenge me about something that feels scary to me or feels big to me, and I'm just reminded that I'm going to be with God for eternity, and the 70, 80 years of my life are going to seem like a drop in the ocean, and what will I say to Jesus in the scope of eternity when I wasn't able to obey him in the shrinking tininess of my life? What am I going to say to him? Sorry, it just seemed too big at the time. We need to practice perspective. We need to practice recognizing how God we need to, need to practice having a big idea of God. That's what worship does. That's one of the beautiful things about worship is that we're taken out of our own our own stuff and just looking inwards and we recognize God again that He is stronger and greater. We need to practice perspective every day. I would suggest every hour, every 10 minutes, if you like. Until this is the thing. Practice it until it happens. Practice it until you start to believe in your life that what is most real, what is ultimately real, is God. Practice it until you start to really believe that God is as real as this table and this beautiful goatskin leather-bound Bible. Believe it. Practice it until you believe it. Great. Holy fool, secondly, count the cost. This is Matthew 10. This is the next section. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Again, as John Wimber said, if Christ is worth being in for, he's worth being in all the way. You know, it was said of St. Francis that he was a man that simply took the way of Jesus, listen to this expression, I love this, to its logical extreme. But the only logical thing you can do when you're confronted by the person of Jesus is to make him everything. And you will become tired and exhausted and burnt out just trying to make him a part of your life. I promise you. I've done it. I still do it. You will become exhausted trying to make Jesus a part of your life because he's supposed to be the source of your life itself. If Christ is worth coming to, he's worth coming all the way with. Some of us are counting this cost in a particular way at the moment. St. Francis had to count this cost. For St. Francis to really be used by God, he had to let his dreams of being a knight die. For St. Francis to really be able to respond to the call of God in his life, he had to turn away from other desires. This isn't to say that desires are bad. All of this is rooted in the fact that the closer we are to God, the more alive we're going to become. The closer we are to God, the more human we're going to be. The more love will be in our lives, the more joy will be in our lives. It was said of St. Francis that for a man who had nothing, who, who, who didn't long for any particular positions of power, who begged like others for bread, he was more joyful than anyone else they had ever met. Isn't that amazing? A man who has nothing but has God, has everything. And he was known for singing and, ah, oh, beautiful, there's not enough time to go into more of that, but... St. Francis had to count the cost. St. Francis with his own family had to count the cost. His, he had a really difficult relationship with his father and his father ended up throwing him um, in prison shortly before he left Assisi. He actually ended up stealing some of his father's silk um, to, to pay for rebuilding the little chapel at that point. And he famously said when he was summoned by the bishop, um, him, he, him and his father were summoned by the bishop, and he famously said to his father, until now I have called you my father but now I call God my father. You know, there's a movement happening in India at the moment where God is just touching people's lives and churches are being planted, thousands of people coming to Jesus. Most of the people that are leading these churches, Jesus has just shown up in the middle of their lives and their entire families have disowned them. Their families won't speak to them, they're a disgrace to them. How could that possibly be worth doing unless the love of Jesus is everything? How could that possibly worth, be worth doing if Jesus doesn't have the words of eternal life? Some of us are feeling this cost in a particular way at the moment. Some of us, after Johnny's sermon the other day, uh, uh, God is beginning to speak to us. is beginning, beginning to birth within us holy ambitions, but we're just scared. We're just scared of what it might mean. Some of us in this room, even, even coming to church today, have just been carrying a sense of, oh, what if, I, what if I was actually to do this? What would other people think of me? I know I'm going to disappoint some people. I tell you, when I, when I my, my lovely auntie, she's a beautiful woman, when I first told her that I was going to be ordained, she just looked me in the eyes and said, oh, what a waste. And I couldn't figure out whether to be complimented or insulted, but it was, I was insulted. Some of us are counting the cost. Some of us, in following Jesus, are going to have to disappoint those around us. And one of the ways that God often will do this as well is through humiliation. One of the ways God did this in France's life is that actually Francis had to fail in order to become empty enough to be filled with God. Some, some, some of us are just in, in seasons at the moment. This, um, by the way, this isn't to say that God causes every bit of suffering, but that he can use it for the good. And some of us are just trying so hard at certain things. And actually what's happening is we're failing over and over again. We're thinking, what's going on? Is it possible that God is trying to bring us to a place of dependence upon him? that We become so emptied of our own desires that we can be filled with his instead. Losing our lives is hard. Jesus says, whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Losing our lives is hard. And some of us are feeling this in a particular way at the moment. Finally... Holy fools, hear the call. If you've still got your Bibles open, why don't you just flick to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 to 27. If you underline um, anything in your Bibles, this would be a good one. St. Paul says this, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Holy fools hear the call to do the things that Jesus did. And in doing them, are released from what other people think about them. I often think, how, did, how could Paul write this? How could Paul write that God uses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise? Because he experienced it firsthand, didn't he? I mean, isn't it just like God, sneaky Jesus, to take the persecutor of the early church, a man of learning in the Jewish scriptures, and to make him the biggest advocate for Jesus? Isn't that just like the thing that God would do? Paul knew this firsthand. Paul knew that Jesus took the foolish things of the world to shame the wise because he was one of the foolish things that Jesus took. Of course, God would win a victory over death and sin by dying. Would you have come up with that? Of course, God chose ordinary fishermen to be his first disciples. Of course, God would use an ordinary builder to sow a dream for a church. Of course God is going to use our kids to teach a city how to pray. Of course God would use a rich kid who was terrified of sick people called Francis to lead a movement of awakening in his church. Of course God would use ordinary people like you and me to do his work. The final thing that Holy Fools show us is that this is me and you. Holy Falls aren't some separate species of people. They're just ordinary people who respond to the call of Jesus in their life and make him everything. everyday people who choose daily to fear God instead of man, who choose daily to count the cost of following Jesus, and who choose daily to hear the call of God upon their lives, that's all they are. I'm going to finish, uh, finish with this, a G.K. Chesterton quote. This is a, a book he wrote from a book that he wrote on St. Francis. It says this, it come up on the screen. This is Francis, and as Francis stared at the word fool written in luminous letters before him, the word itself began to shine and change. He wore the same word fool as a feather in his cap, as a crest or even a crown. He would go on being a fool, and he would become more and more of a fool. He would be the court fool of the king of paradise. Let's stand and pray together. Thanks for listening to some of our teaching here at Trinity. We hope it's blessed to you. If you live in the city or live outside of Nottingham and want to connect more with the church, check out some of our practices and pathways on our website. We call them one, few, company, and many. We're passionate about encountering Jesus, becoming like him, and doing the things that he did, both individually and in our lives together so that we may see the church on fire and the city come alive. You can find these on our website under the Connect tab. Thanks for listening.